Well, we're going to dive in. You know, but, but i got to tell you, backstage, though, Travis, you know, I was watching Travis. He lit the preparation candle. We're preparing for the birth of Jesus. Uh, it's burning. It's the second candle. Last week, he lit the hope candle. And I couldn't help but think of the hope candle uh, when I, this morning, right before the first service, when I got a, 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 a text uh, alert from one of my sports information places that told me that Bon Jovi's thinking about buying the Titans. And, uh, you know, I sort of got really hopeful at that point because we've been living on a prayer for a long time, haven't we? So, uh, but anyway, you know, as we kick off today, I, 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 uh, I remember there was a, a video on America's Funniest Home Videos. I know you've seen the show. It's 20 years old probably. I mean, it, it keeps running. It's a good show. And there was a video on there a few years ago of a little boy on Christmas morning. The video shows him getting up, running to the tree. I mean, man, he got one of his presents. He ripped it open, and he was more excited than a tick on a fat dog. I mean, he was jumping. He was screaming. He was shouting. I love it. It's what I've always wanted. And he looked down again and said, what is it? You know, and... That reminded me, and it was funny, but, you know, that's what Christmas is really about to a lot of people. We get so excited about the Christmas tree, and I do. We get so excited about the parties and the food, and I do. We get very excited about all the gifts, all those things, and those are great. But what happens is many people get excited about those things, and they look at Jesus, and they say, what is it? Who is he? And so what we're trying to do during this Advent season, you know, Advent means, uh, you know, the coming of a, of, of a very special thing, person, or event, and we're the Advent of Jesus. And what we're doing this Advent season is trying to help you understand who Jesus is so that you can better celebrate Christmas. And one of the ways that we're helping you understand who Jesus is is by looking at the three offices that he held in Scripture. They're prophet, priest, and king. Now, last week, uh, we looked at the prophet. And I've got a little, uh, you know, diagram up here that will help us understand it a little bit. Last week, we looked at the prophet. And if you'll notice, the eras are going down because the prophet represented God to the people. Uh, the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. He revealed God, revealed God's word, okay? Next week, we're doing Christmas at Life Point. That'll be an awesome event. Bring your friends. Week after next, we're looking at uh, a king over the people. Jesus is a king over the people. It's the heirs are down again because Jesus is the king over the people. Today, we're going to look at the fact that he's a priest. And the heirs are going up in this one because Jesus is a priest to the people. Uh, and a priest, uh, as a prophet, represents God to people. A priest represents the people to God. Okay? And we're going to look at today in the book of Hebrews how Jesus is the ultimate prophet. You know, Hebrews uh, writes a lot. The writer of Hebrews spends a lot of ink. He uses a lot of ink to help us understand why Jesus is the ultimate prophet. And uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to focus in on Hebrews 7, which talks about that Jesus is not out of the Levitical priestly order. Instead, he is out of the order of Melchizedek. He's out of the priestly order of Melchizedek. And you might not have ever heard of Melchizedek. He's not mentioned in the Bible a lot, but he's very significant. And so the context for biblical interpretation, context is vital. If you really want to interpret the Bible correctly, you need to know context. Very important. Context is important in any conversation, isn't it? You hear one part of the conversation and you can get in trouble. You need to know context. And so the context that uh, is happening here in Hebrew Hebrews, the writer, the, the, the writer is writing to a group of Jewish Christians. They were once Jews. They have given their life to Jesus. He is now their Savior. They're, they're, they're following Jesus, but they're being persecuted severely for their faith because they believe in Jesus. They're being killed. They're being run out of their homes. They're never seeing their families, all these things. And as a result of their persecution, they're considering going back to Judaism. 
they're thinking, man, that was the good old religion. People were even telling them, you know, Judaism was good enough for your forefathers. It's a good old system of religion. Uh, come back to Judaism. You weren't suffering uh, like this when you were Jews. And so they were considering going back to Judaism because they didn't really understand who Jesus is. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's helping us to understand who Jesus is. He's helping them to understand who Jesus is and why that Jesus is better than uh, the, the old system. Why, why the old system is not the reality. The old system is a foreshadow of the reality. Why all of the rituals and the sacrifices and even the priesthood of Judaism is not the reality. It is simply a foreshadow of the reality, a type of reality. Now, what I mean by type, in, in the theological world, there's terms, and one of the terms in the theological world is typology. Now, what typology means basically is an illustration or a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus, right? Let me give you some examples. For instance, you remember in Exodus, in, in the book of Exodus, and maybe you're new to church, uh, so I don't want to assume you know any of this. In the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, uh, there's a man named Moses. God raises Moses up to redeem God's people from slavery in Egypt. So he goes in, tells Pharaoh, let my people go, yada, yada. Pharaoh's, no, 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 no. So God sends 10 plagues. The 10th plague is God is going to take all of the firstborn of both man and animal in Egypt. But he tells the Israelites through Moses, you kill a perfect lamb, you consume the lamb, you put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of your home. Now that sounds a little weird taken out of context, right? That sounds a little weird when you begin to think about, I'm killing a lamb, I'm eating, I'm, I mean, you can go home, put blood of, the, uh, of an animal on your door. That's, that's really weird. But it, what it is, is it's a typology because what happened was God said that perfect lamb, when you slaughter it, when you put the blood on your door frame, he's going to pass over, thus the Passover, the homes marked by the blood of the lamb. Now, all that was a type of Jesus. That's why it was important. It wasn't weird if you know the context. It was a type of Jesus. It was a foreshadowing, right? Another type of Jesus is every year uh, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He would offer sacrifices for the people. He would slaughter lambs. Every family would bring a lamb. That lamb would be slaughtered. It said that there was so many lambs slaughtered that the blood ran through the streets of Jerusalem. It was a, a, an amazing thing because there were so many families that come, right? Well, then John the Baptist sees Jesus, and when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that sacrifice of that lamb was a type, okay? Uh, it was a, a picture of Jesus. Now, type is not like kind, like, you know, uh, it's not like saying a Volkswagen is a type of car and a Cadillac is a type of car, right? It's not, it doesn't mean it's a kind. It, uh, a type is a picture of a reality, an illustration of a reality. It's not the reality. It's a picture of the reality. The priesthood was a type of Christ, right? Priesthood was so important in Israel that priest, the priests were like gas in a car. Without it, you don't run, right? I mean, that's how important the priests were because they connected the people of God, the pe people to God. They were the bridge that connected the people to God. Now, the Latin word for priest is the word pontifex. You've heard of pontiff, right? Well, that's the Latin. The Latin for priest is pontifex. It really means bridge builder. Jesus is the ultimate priest because he is the ultimate pontifex, the ultimate bridge builder between man and God. You see, man is sinful. We are not righteous. 
We are unholy. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. Yet God is holy, pure, righteous, and true. He is extremely, uh, at the utmost, holiness. Sinful man cannot directly approach a holy God, right? And so the priests are important because they represent man to God. They build the bridge between man and God. If you don't understand how sinful we are and how holy God is, if you don't get those two things, you'll never understand why Jesus being our high priest is so important, okay? Now, uh, every year, as I said, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He would offer these sacrifices. The reason he would offer these sacrifices is because God told Adam and Eve, the moment you eat the fruit, you will die. Now, they didn't die physically the moment, but they did die spiritually when they ate the fruit. Now, because of God's grace, they, they lived physically for a time, and then they died. But they died physically also because they ate the fruit. Death is the penalty for sin. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, right? Now, God said that blood, uh, that, that the life is represented by the blood, right? And so he would offer, this priest would offer these sacrifices, and the blood of all those animals was a representative of the blood of Christ. It was, a, it was representative of, really, the penalty was paid by the blood of the life of the animal because sin required death as a payment. And so, so the priest would offer these animals, and their blood represented payment for sin. But what would happen is he would have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over because the blood of the animals could not absolve man of our sin, right? I mean, it expired. It was cool. They would bring the lamb. The, the, the priest would go in, slaughter the lamb, and, and it was cool. And, man, it, it was great, but it didn't absolve their sin. It only lasted until their next sin, which was at best, if for anything like us today, their next sin was at best as they were exiting the parking lot with road rage, right, of the temple. And so therefore, uh, it, it didn't last too long, right? And so, so the priest had to do it over and over and over again. Now also, the priest was sinful. He was like man. He, he wasn't sinless. And as a result, he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin before he could offer sacrifices for anyone else's sin. And so the, the, the priest then would offer sacrifices for his sin and the sins of the people, and there was no permanent peace. He had to do it over and over and over and over. And so therefore, the writer of Hebrews comes in and says, what we need is a better sacrifice, a new sacrifice, a better sacrifice that doesn't expire with our next sin. We need a new priest, a better priest, whose life is pure that doesn't have to do it over and over because it satisfies the wrath of God, Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why Jesus is so important. That's what we're celebrating, you know, at, at Christmas is Jesus. And, and, and Hebrews chapter 4, before we get to Hebrews 7, look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. It begins to make sense. You begin to understand why he's challenging them. Do not abandon your faith. This is who Jesus is. They're about to abandon their faith because they don't know who Jesus is. They're being persecuted. He says, ho, ho, let me help you understand who Jesus is. You hold fast to your faith. Now, let me help you to understand that in, in America today, in the West today, many people are just like the Hebrews. They're abandoning their faith because they don't know who Jesus is. Now, the difference is we don't do it by standing and saying, well, we're abandoning Jesus and going back to our old way of life. People just go back to their old way of life. They don't say it. They say, well, I've got my fire insurance. I've got Jesus. But I'm abandoning Jesus when I abandon his way of life, okay? 
And we do that because we don't know who Jesus is, right? And so that's why Paul's prayer for his people, the people was always not that God would take away their, their, their persecution, not that God would take away famine, that God would help them know him more, that they would know Jesus more. And so here he says, uh, don't abandon your faith, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's talking about Jesus. The high priest says, I need you to understand Jesus is your high priest. Don't abandon him. Don't go back to the priesthood. Don't go back to, to the Jewish religion and, and the priesthood because it was a type. It's not the reality. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to make you right with God. That's Jesus. He lived this perfect life. He, he can sympathize with you because the writer of Hebrews says he knows he lived a life. He was persecuted. I mean, man, he, he, was, he was chased out of town. He was, he, they threatened to kill him. So when, when you're having a bad day, Jesus knows it. He can sympathize with you. He, he was tempted in every way. When you're tempted to lust, he was tempted to lust. You're tempted to, uh, you know, uh, be impure sexually, so was Jesus. You're tempted to, to, to lie, so was Jesus. You're tempted to be greedy, to gossip, so was Jesus. But unlike you, like you, he was tempted in every way, but unlike you, he never committed sin. And because he was perfect and pure, his death, his life and his death satisfied the wrath of God completely. He's our high priest. You need to understand the priesthood is not going to do you any good. That's what the writer is saying. It was a type. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Now let's go to Hebrews 7 and read 1 through 3. It says in 1 through 3, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, all this is very important, you know, the Bible is God's word, and it contains God's words, the words of God. So every word is important. That's why, that's why we use a word-for-word -word translation, not that phrase-by-phrase -phrase translations are bad at all. NIV is a great translation. I've used it for years. Still don't look at some, but we want to use a word-for-word -word because our statement is God's word is full of God's words, and we really pay attention to God's words. And so uh, it says, for this Melchizedek, very important word. We're going to look at this word. What does this word mean? It's not just his name. It means something. King of Salem means something. That's important. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Very important. You know, I mean, you, we just buzz over this, say, okay, he's talking about God, but there's a reason it says it like that, most high God, all right? Met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. What in the world is he talking about, the slaughter of the kings? And blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. We talked about tithing, and this is what's happening here. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. And then verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy. This dude, Melchizedek, he didn't have a mom or dad? I mean, really? Uh, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the Son of God. This is very important that you get resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. Now, Hebrews 7 is talking about this priest king named Melchizedek. Uh, and Melchizedek, as the Hebrews uh, is telling us about this, he's not telling us about Melchizedek because he wants you to get to know Melchizedek. He's telling you about Melchizedek because he wants you to get to know Jesus. And Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. He's a foreshadow of Jesus, right? Now, uh, Melchizedek is not mentioned often in the Bible. He's really a man of mystery, to be honest. He's mentioned in chapter 14 of Genesis uh, for a few verses, and then he's not heard of, we've never mentioned again, for a thousand years. In Psalm 110, a thousand years after Genesis, the psalmist prophesies that Jesus, the, or the Messiah, would be from the order of Melchizedek. 
And at that point, they would have been going, hold on, what, what? I mean, they had Levitical priests, and are you sure he's not going to be out of the Levitical priesthood? But he's prophesied he's going to be out of the order of Melchizedek. And then in Hebrews is when he's mentioned again, where the writer is helping us understand it. So what you have is you have three references in all the Bible to Melchizedek, and they're really short. Genesis, a few verses, it's historical. This is Melchizedek. He's a historical person. This is the role he played in history. Psalms is prophetic. It, it, it is, this is what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come out of his order. And Hebrews is theological. It tells us what all that means, which is beautiful because th- this is proof of the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Scripture because, man, you see this play out thousands of years apart and how God thousands of years rolled this out. It's, it's amazing, right? And so Melchizedek, now, what does it mean, the, ba- the slaughter of the kings? Well, Again, I'm not going to assume you know. So there was a guy named Abraham. If you go back in Genesis, you read about Abraham. He was a pagan, right? He didn't follow God, but God found him. God saved him, redeemed him, and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world, all the nations, through you and your descendants. He was the father of Israel. Out of him come this line of Israel, and out of that come Jesus. And, and so he blessed the world and so through, through Abraham. Well, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Lot went off the reservation both literally and figuratively. Literally because he moved from Abraham and moved into the land of Sodom. Now, you've, even if you don't know the Bible, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, wicked, wicked cities. So he went, off the, he went off the reservation literally when he moved to Sodom, figuratively because he moved uh, away from God. You see, it's not bad to move to a wicked city at all if you're moving to a wicked city on mission. Uh, you know, if you're going for the glory of God, that's, that's awesome. But if you're going for the glory of yourself, that's not good. And that's what Lot was doing. He was not going for God's glory. He was going for his glory, right? And so, therefore, he's in Sodom. And what happens while he's in Sodom, four kings in the area sort of ally together, and they begin to raid the entire region. They raid the region, and they plunder the region, including Sodom. And after they leave, they're taking captives with them, and part of those captives are Lot and his family. Well, Abraham hears about it. He gets word, and so Abraham rallies some, of his, some men together, and, man, he begins chasing down these four kings. It's Abraham and some men chasing down four kings. Abraham's a bad dude, okay? Abraham catches up with these four kings, and he opens a can of whoop on these kings, a big one. Takes them out. This would have been an incredible shoot 'em up. I'd go see it, man. This is box office, right? I love it. I mean, he whoops them, takes them down, defeats them. And then guess what? They've got all this plunder. They've raided the entire area. So who's it belong to now? Abraham. Abraham's now the king of the mountain. He's got the plunder. He's got all the spoils. Isn't it crazy how God blesses his people in the most unexpected ways? I mean, and so, so Abraham, he's got all the spoils. So he's on his way home from this battle at the slaughter of the kings. And on his, on his way home, he's met by this king priest named Melchizedek who blesses him. Hebrews tells us that blessed him. If you go back to Genesis 14, it says that he blessed him with bread and wine. Now that's important because we know at that moment, I mean, you know, obviously we couldn't have put it all together by just reading the historical fact. You go then to Psalms, the prophetic uh, passage about him, the Messiah coming out of the Melchizedek line. Then you go to Hebrews and look at the theology of all of it. Then you begin to understand he blessed him with bread and wine. Well, what did Jesus do at the Last Supper with bread and wine? You're beginning to see how all the Holy Spirit is connected to all this in such a beautiful way. So he blesses him 
And Abraham then gives him a tenth of all the spoils. He tithes, a tenth means the tithe. He tithes, and the word is the, the top heap, the best, which would translate into first fruit. Now, I'm not going to speak about this because we spent three weeks on this in November, so you'll be happy I'm not going to speak about it. But it's here, we exposit scripture. And so what you need to understand is this, many people have said, well, you know, tithing is Old Testament, it's Old Covenant, it's under the old law, and, and uh, you know, uh, we're under the new covenant. Listen, no, no, no. Right here, the tithe predates the law. The tithe predates the moral law. The moral law didn't come until after Exodus, after Moses and the Exodus, and in the book of Exodus, Genesis chapter 14, the tithe predates the law. It's a principle that God has established, and we need to understand that, all right? And so uh, I preached about it. I'm not going to say anything else about it, but it's there, and so I had to address it. And so, so, so Abraham uh, then uh, ties his, uh, his, his spoils. He's blessed by Melchizedek. And what we need to look at here is Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And so we can learn a lot about Jesus, who Jesus is, by looking at Melchizedek. Why is Jesus out of the order of priestly order of Melchizedek and not the Levitical priestly order? Why? Well, first off, there's, uh, there's three reasons I'm going to hit really quick. One is that He's out of the priestly order of Melchizedek, not the Levitical priestly order, because the Levitical priestly order was a national priest. Melchizedek was a universal priestly order. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand what that means. The, the priests of, of Israel were priests only to Israel. They did not minister outside of Israel. Okay? They didn't care about any side, anybody outside of Israel. They were specifically for Israel. But Melchizedek was universal. How do I know that? Well, here's how. Because I said the wording in Scripture. The Hebrew name for God was Jehovah. Why was it Jehovah? Because the proper Hebrew name is Yahweh. All right? The proper name for God for the Hebrew is Yahweh. But the, the Jews thought that Yahweh was too sacred and holy to be uttered and mentioned it. They wouldn't even say the name. And so they began to use the name Adonai, which means Lord in the temple. Then what happened was uh, uh, Yahweh was basically consonants, Y, you know, uh, H-W-H. And what they did was they took the vowels from Yahweh and the vowel signs from, uh, I'm sorry, the vowels from, from Adonai, the vowel signs from Yahweh, and they put them together and they got Jehovah, Yehovah, which that was the Hebrew name for God, what the Hebrews referred to God because they thought he's too holy and too sacred. Yahweh is too sacred to mention. So they called him Yehovah. Okay, so therefore, Jehovah was the, Israel, the Hebrew, Israel, Jewish name for God. So the priest of Israel, and the Levitical line would have been the priest of Israel, or the priest of Jehovah. A priest of Israel was the priest of Jehovah. But what it says about Melchizedek, it doesn't say the priest of Jehovah. It says the priest of the Most High God. The wording is El Elyon. El Elyon is, means, it's basically universal. Okay, El, the God Most High. It didn't say Melchizedek is the priest of Jehovah. He is the God, priest of God Most High, the God of all people, of all existence, of everything. As Hebrews writer said, God created, everything was created by God and for God. He is the God over everything. Now, this is important. Why? Because remember, the Hebrews didn't care about anyone else. They, they didn't care. As a matter of fact, they wanted everybody else to go to hell. Okay. I mean, remember Jonah. Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I don't go to Nineveh, God. If I go to Nineveh, you're going to save them. I don't like them. I hate them. I want them to burn in hell. I'm not going. 
Well, God got him to, to Nineveh, right? But, he, but the issue is, the point is, the Israelites were, were national. They were focused only on Israel. They didn't care about anyone else going to heaven. They didn't care about anyone. They didn't want anyone else horning in on their God. He was a tribal God. He was a national deity. But Melchizedek is universal. Melchizedek's ministry was to all people, Jews, Gentiles. It didn't matter. Well, look at what uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, talking about Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, right? Now, look at John the Baptist, what John the Baptist said in John, uh, the, Ap- the Apostle John's writing about John the Baptist, and he says in 129, The next day he saw John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you see, Jesus is out of the order of Melchizedek because he's not a national God. He's not a tribal deity. He's not the Messiah of Israel. He is the Messiah of people from all over the world. And that doesn't mean universalism. That doesn't mean everybody from all over the world is going to heaven because Jesus died. No, it means people from all nations who believe in Jesus. It's open to all nations, right? So it it is only through Jesus Christ. It's not through Buddha. It's not through Allah. It doesn't matter if you're sincere. People worship Buddha, and it's very sexy today and say, oh, man, you're sincere in this religion, and oh, you worship Buddha? You're cool because that's awesome. You worship, you know, uh, Allah? That's awesome. That's cool you worship something. You worship the shingle on your house on the corner there? Cool. Good for you. You worship the wind and the trees and, you know, Mother Earth. And, oh, that's awesome. Uh, You're a Christian. You're a fool. That's the world. Why? Because, you see, Christians are exclusive in the fact that we're not exclusive because we don't want anyone else in. We want to take everybody. We're exclusive in the fact that Jesus is the only way in. He's it. There is no other way. That's why it's important that we understand who Jesus is. And so the the writer of Hebrews is telling the Hebrew Christians, and he's telling us today, Jesus is it. You don't want to leave and go back to Judaism. You don't want to leave and go back to your old way of life. He is the only way. He is the reality. That's why we should love the nations. That's why we should go to the nations. That's why we sin. That's why we're ascending church, because Jesus is the only way. He is the priest who represents, the ultimate priest, who represents people to God. He's not just a national God or a tribal deity. That's the point. He's universal. Leviticus, the Levitical priests were uh, a, a national only. Now, an, another reason that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek is because the Levitical priesthood was genealogical and it was temporary. Melchizedek was not genealogical and it was eternal. Let me explain. In Israel, you were a priest if you were of the tribe of Levi. If you could trace your heritage and you had to trace your heritage. You had to trace your, your genealogical tree. Very important. You, you read a lot of genealogies in the Bible because it's very important. You trace your genealogical tree all the way back to Aaron, you're in. If, you're not, if you couldn't trace your genealogical tree to Aaron, no need to apply. Okay? But if you could, you could be a tool and you're still going to be a priest. It didn't matter about the quality of your life. It didn't matter how pure you were. You could be a tool. If you are a, a, a person that could trace your heritage back to Aaron, you're in, okay? Genealogical. And it was also temporary because Numbers 8 says that a priest served from the age of 25 until the age of 50, and at 50 they retired. 
Now, they were still called priests, but they retired from service in the tent of meeting. Or in other words, they retired from wor conducting worship services in our economy today. They, they were still priests, but they were temporary. Well, here's the thing about G Mel Melchizedek. Melchizedek, it says that he was not of the, uh, uh, it says that he, he had no beginning or no end. No, uh, it says he had no father, no mother. Now, that's led a lot of people to say, he's, a, oh, he's mysterious. He's an angel. Because he, he had no beginning and no end. He had no father, no mother. He's an angel. Or maybe he's the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus pre-incarnate. I, I don't believe that at all, okay? Let me, let, me, let me help you to understand why. Because first, he's not an angel because, or, 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 or Jesus. He's a real historical man, I believe, because in, he, in Hebrews 5, it says that high priest must come out of man. And he's not Jesus because it says in verse 3 that he resembled Jesus. You know, he, he wasn't Jesus. He resembled Jesus. You know, it's like saying, you know, this, this iPad, it, it doesn't resemble an iPad. It is an iPad, right? This is an iPad. It doesn't resemble one. Well, Melchizedek wasn't Jesus. He resembled Jesus, okay? So I believe he was a historical man. Well, then what does it mean when it says that, and why did he say he had no beginning, no end, no mother, no father? Well, here's what it, what it says. The Levitical priesthood was based on your genealogy. You had to trace it all the way back to Aaron, right? Uh, and if you couldn't, no need to apply. Well, Melchizedek's priesthood is not based on genealogy. The point the writer is making is we don't have his genealogy. It doesn't mean he literally didn't have a mother or father. We don't know them. He, it doesn't list them. He has no genealogy of his mother or father. And so, so it's not based on his genealogy or on his heredity. It's based on his purity, his quality, Right now, it also says that he had no beginning or no end, which doesn't mean, man, he just he come into life and then vanished, and not like you know uh, uh, Enoch and, and Elijah. It, it means that basically we don't have a record of when his reign began and when he he, he ended. We we don't have that record, and it is a picture. It's a word picture. The the writer is using a word picture to let us know he is out. Jesus is out of this order because, like Melchizedek. He, it's not his, he wasn't, he's not our high priest because of his genealogy. He was out of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't even out of the tribe of Levi, Jesus. Jesus came out of the tribe of Judah. He's not a high priest because of his genealogy, but because of his purity, his quality. He, he has no, his rule as our high priest and his reign is not temporary. Theirs was from 25 to 50. His is eternal. It never ends. It always has been and always will be. If you go back and it says he resembled, it says Melchizedek resembled Jesus. Melchizedek resembled the son, you know, uh, he resembled the son of God. Well, why did he resemble the son of God? Because Jesus was, you know, only born 2,000 years ago. Melchizedek was long before that. Why did he resemble the son of God? Because Jesus existed way before Melchizedek. You know, that's what Jesus said before Moses was, I, you know, I mean, he got killed. He's God. Jesus is eternal. Right? He has always been our high priest. He will always be the one who represents us to God. He, he will always represent us. And so, so the, the, the fact that as we, as we look uh, at, at this, we can see two reasons that he's out of the Melchizedek order is one, because uh, his, his, his a priest is universal. His priesthood is universal. Jesus is for all people. Jesus is, is born to take people from every tribe, every language, to heaven. He, he represents all nations, those who surrendered him. 
Also because Melchizedek, uh, his, his reign was not temporary. Also because it wasn't genealogical. And one, another reason, the final reason, is because Jesus uh, brought righteousness that brings peace. Just like Melchizedek. Melchizedek's name, the word Melchizedek, the name Melchizedek, it means righteousness. Which is the king of righteousness. Now, he's the king of Salem. Now, Melchizedek is also something that no Levitical priest was, king and priest at the same time. You couldn't be king and priest in Israel. You could be one or the other, but you couldn't be both. Melchizedek was both. He was a king who was priest, like Jesus. We'll talk about the king in in a couple of weeks. Uh, But he was king of Salem. Now, Salem is Jerusalem today. It was Jerusalem before Jerusalem existed. The Jebus people, Jebusites lived there, uh, became Jebusalem, Jerusalem, okay? Salem is shalom, means peace. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. Now, it's very important that you get this, and theologically, it's very important that you get it in order, because righteousness always precedes peace. If you've got a king of a kingdom, and he is a very unrighteous king, and, his, and the, his subjects of the kingdom are very unrighteous people. There will be no peace in that kingdom. It will be strife. It will be discord in that kingdom. Righteousness must precede peace. Jesus is the king of righteousness. Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the king of peace. And here's the significance. We are sinful and at birth. And the Bible tells us that we are enemies of God. It tells us that We are at war with God. We are in an enmity with God. We war against his word. We war against his way. We rebel against his will. We are enemies of God. This is what the Bible uses to describe us. We are enemies of God, and we are at war with God, and we are not friends of God before Christ. There's no peace. The only way to have peace is that if I become righteous, and there's no way I can do that. The word tells me that all my acts are like filthy rags. There's nothing I can do. So what happens? How do I become righteous? Well, Jesus, as Hebrews 4 says, lived this perfect life without sin, tempted in every way, yet committed no sin. Pure, the Son of God, yet fully God, fully man, pure, was murdered on a cross. And because when he was murdered on a cross, his death, because of his pure life, satisfied the wrath of God. Now, here's what happened. The moment that he died, all people who surrendered to him, not everybody in the world, all people who surrendered to him from all over the world, all people who surrendered to him, your sin was theologically called imputed. It was given to Jesus. He took your sin. The moment that he died, when you, the moment you surrendered to him, his sin, your sin was imputed, given to Jesus. That means, get this, it's mind-boggling. Every sin you had ever committed up until the time that you uh, surrendered to Jesus, every sin, no matter how bad it was, no matter how little you think it was, it was all given to Jesus. But get this, this is something that we don't think about a lot. Every sin we will ever commit throughout our entire days on earth was given to Jesus. He has forgiven all of my sin, the sins I have committed, the sins that are still in my future. And I will commit many if I live a while, okay? As a matter of fact, if I live the next hour, I will commit a few. All of them are forgiven. They're forgiven. Now, some of you say, well, you know, if they're all forgiven, just do whatever you want. No, no, no. You see, that's why I confess and repent because not so that I can 
make sure I go to heaven, but because I know I am, and I know that my sin offends God, and I love him, and I want my relationship with him to be pure, so I still have to confess and to repent. But all of my sin, that's why the, uh, the writer of Romans says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer his enemy, now I'm his friend. I'm not at war with God. There is peace with me and God only because I'm righteous. And I'm righteous not because of anything I do. I'm righteous because of what Jesus did, and it's given to me. And because of that, now I have peace with God. So that's when, it, when the angel says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Man, it's not talking about people laying down their guns and, and, and all that and not fighting anymore. And wow, that would be awesome. And if the whole world would give their life to Jesus, that would be a result. But it's not talking about people laying down their guns what it's talking about is people laying down their life, their heart, and surrendering to Jesus. Because when you have peace, Jesus, here's the, the prince of peace. Here's the one who, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, that's only through Jesus because when he gives you his righteousness, then you'll have peace with God. Until he gives you his righteousness, you will have no peace with God. Jesus, our ultimate priest. Because you see, all those sacrifices of all those priests were not permanent. They were temporary. Jesus is permanent. So when we, when we worship Jesus and as we prepare, today's the preparation candle, as we prepare to worship Jesus at Christmas, we, we need to know who he is. And we worship him much better when I know that he is my ultimate high priest and once and for all he died a pure, he lived a pure life and died a perfect death that was satisfied the wrath of God. And when I surrendered to him, it was a pontifex. He built a bridge between me and God that can never be torn down. And I am in relationship with God that can never be taken away because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Jesus. That's our high priest. That was the, the baby born. That was why there was a war cry when he was born, because he was going to battle for your heart. And so therefore, therefore, we can't, we can't walk away. We can't deny our faith. And I'm not saying you know, don't get up and say, well, I'm not following Jesus anymore. With, don't walk away with how you live. How you live reveals what you believe. And sometimes people just walk away with how they live because they don't know Jesus. And our, and our, our entire objective here is that you know God. We don't want to play religion. We don't want to play church. We want you to know God. Because when you know him, you love him. When you love him, you serve him. And, and you give all to him. And so today, as, as we begin to prepare for Christmas, you know a little bit more about who Jesus is, hopefully, so that you can worship him much better. I would ask those of you who don't know Jesus today, you need to understand that, you know, nothing you do is going to make you right with God. Nothing you have done will keep God from saving you. You're not too bad. You're not too far gone. No one is. No one is. If, until the day you die, there's hope. And I would tell you to, that you need to understand that Jesus is the only way. And I would ask you today, where's your heart? Because listen, what you believe about Jesus is so important. It's so important. That's why the people were abandoning him, because they didn't know him. So those words that Jesus asked his disciples, you remember what he asked? What, who do you say that I am? Wow, it's the most important question you'll ever wrestle with. If he's your prophet that represents God's word and God's authority to you, if he's your high priest that mediates between you and God, we no longer, folks, have to go to a priest to confess our sin. We go to Jesus. We no longer have to go to a priest for sacrifice because Jesus offered himself. When you, when he is your, is he your high priest who represented you before God and was the ultimate sacrifice? Is he the king who rules over you? That's who Jesus is. Who is he? It's the most important question you'll ever wrestle with. 
Let me tell you, we're getting ready to baptize now several people. And all these people have said, Jesus is my ultimate high priest. He's the one who offered his, the sacrifice of himself so that I may have life. He's the one that I trust. He's it. I'm not trusting anything else to make me right with God. Now, these people that are coming up to be baptized don't believe they're perfect. They're your sons, your, daughter, your son or daughter may be getting baptized. Your mom or dad may be getting baptized. Your friend. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to sin, okay? They're going to commit sins. That's the world we live in. So don't think when you see these folks mess up, well, I thought you got baptized. Don't mean they're going to be perfect, okay? It means that they're covered. It means that as a result, they should sin less. <laughs> they're not going to be sinless, but they should sin less, right? Because they love Jesus. Baptism doesn't save. It's water. doesn't save. It's a symbol of the one who did. It's a symbol that Jesus died and was buried and come out of the grave. And it's a symbol of the fact that you died when you surrendered to Jesus and you were buried your old life and you were raised a brand new person. And that's what it's a symbol of. It's a symbol of Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, we would love to talk to you about what all that means. Come back to the next steps. If you are, I hope this inspires you. I hope you celebrate because Jesus has saved someone else. I hope you celebrate because someone else has jumped into the arms of Jesus and surrendered. I hope you know that your, your, your giving, your mission your, is, is, is a part of the reason, that a part of what God used to, to bring this about. So celebrate. Be inspired as we baptize. And thank Jesus that he is our priest and he is the only way and his celebration will be so much more intense in your life. I'm going to pray and Travis is going to come out and then we're going to, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings and, uh, and baptize. And so, uh, ushers, if you'll get ready, I'll pray. We'll take up our tithes and offerings. Travis will come out. You respond however God's led you to respond during this time. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you are a God of grace. Thank you, God, that Lord, there's no way we could be right with God by anything we do, but thank you that you provided a way. Thank you that Jesus is our ultimate priest. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life and offered himself. Thank you that he took my sin and gave me his righteousness so that now I am righteous and because of that I can have peace with you. And God, we're grateful. And I pray that today you would bring that peace to people because they surrender to you and receive your righteousness. Thank you for Christmas that we celebrate a baby. God, not just a baby, but the God-man who came to be the ultimate prophet that would tell us your truth and your word, that would be the ultimate priest that would represent us to you and build a bridge to you, that would be the king, ultimate king who ruled over us. We love you and thank you for your grace. Thank you for these baptisms. God, I pray that they would be inspiring. God, I pray that, Lord, they would be an example. God, I pray for every person and every family that's being baptized. We know they're not gonna be perfect, God, but help them, as we know they're not gonna be sinless, help them to sin less, to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.